Attention all units, please stand by to copy a bolo. Bolo from Anytown PD regarding a delayed homicide. The incident occurred at 123 Any Street, Anytown, USA. No suspect or vehicle description provided. All units are requested to respond to helpsolvethecase.com for briefing. Clear Bolo, 0818 hours. Well, hey, everybody, this is Christine here with Help Solve the Case, and we are live with our virtual investigator bullpen, and we are really excited. We have some, I guess we'll call it some case celebrities here to share some important information on the Daniel Coleman case, so that is really awesome, and um, gosh, I don't even know what to say. I I heard like a little sneak preview, um, but I'll let Rashad talk about that. And um, uh, we also have Linda. Uh, I don't know if you want to identify yourself for our, our listeners or just chime in when you want to, but um, do you, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Linda Coleman. I'm the wife of Daniel Coleman. Um we actually uh, were together since we were young teenagers, and we were together at the time of the of, of the trial. We were married for quite a few years. So, wow. Yeah. Well, we're we're glad to. And have I'm very you. supportive of. Thank you. Of what's thank been you. going on, yeah. That I I just can't imagine. You know, people. There's so much that you see on TV, and and people are you know thankfully very interested in the podcasts and stuff. But, um, you know crime, you know, I don't, I was going to say good crime. It's not good crime, but like, you know, real crime and, and, um, uh, wrongful arrests and like, like everything, the whole situation just really has an impact, a ripple effect on so many people. And I just think people don't understand that. And, and that's why it's so important to have everybody's perspective. So, um, not only from an evidentiary standpoint or testimony standpoint, or, you know, cause ultimately, you know, some people may not see you as a victim, but you're a victim to yourself, right? Because you, you had to go through this from the beginning too. Yeah. So, so I really yeah. appreciate, um, you know, I don't know what to, I don't ever know what to say to people about that. So I, I, you know, appreciate it's not the right word. Um, I have empathy for you, sympathy for you. And thank you. Um, I'm just really sorry you had to go through this, but, um, hopefully we're, we're round in the corner and on this and so i will shut up <laughs> and let our our uh, the the guide for this episode is going to be rashad we're talking about the uh reported wrongful conviction of his dad daniel and so i'll leave this up to you so take it away rashad and let us know what's been going on well before we begin about the update kind of if you could let us know sorry here i say i'm not going to talk and then i keep talking but what else is new um that's why it's so good to have a podcast right uh but um if you could just give us a little where we left off and then tell us what's been happening and then maybe how we can help going forward that would be wonderful sure and again thank you for having us um we just appreciate this this platform so much helps solve this case if you're listening to it i mean it's so many people out there in the world that just need help from regular people that are 
just interested in, in cases and people like yourself, Christine, that have the, some background. You know, you're like the 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 1% of people that have that police police background and, and that investigative background under your belt. So one day I'm, I'm just praying that this podcast and, and, and everything that you're doing just blows up. So thanks again for having us. We really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate it. You know, much like yourself, can't, can't help helping. Can't help yeah. helping. But <laughs> all right. So, right. so, so, so fill the last, in. So, sure. So we ended off with, um, we had went through the pardon board, pardon and parole board process. Um, we were stalled big time through the COVID well, situation. Let me interrupt you for just a second. So sure. can you just, so, so we have your dad, right? Mm-hmm. Who was yes. in prison just to, because we may have some new listeners. Oh, sure. Sure. Right. Yeah. Let's just, you know, yeah. let's just give a little synopsis of, of what it is that we're the wrongful conviction that we're talking about. And then, so I apologize. Yeah. Let's just give a little okay. tidbit of, of what happened and, and, and what's transpired since then. Mm-hmm. So back in 1987, um, when I was three years old, Daniel Coleman, who's my father, he was on his way to work and stopped by police. Um, and the police said that there was a crime that just happened uh, in the neighborhood. Um, they stopped him. They questioned him, um, eventually let him go. Um, a couple hours later, they came to his job and arrested him, um, took him back to the interrogation room. Um, they claimed that he admitted to the crimes, which was the kidnapping, robbery and sexual assault of a 22 year old uh, white woman um, in Newark, Delaware. And he went to trial, um, denied it throughout trial, uh, but essentially lost trial and was sentenced to two life sentences plus seven years um, at the age of 27. Um, At that time, he had three children, myself, along with uh, my two older brothers um, and a wife. Uh, Fast forward, he served 27 years, a little a little under 28 years. He was released in 2015. And my mom is on a call also so she can you know, correct me if I'm, if I'm getting anything wrong, but she, he, so he served, served 27 years, got out in 2015. Um, he was out for a year at which time um, we had, you know, talked and, and, and went back and forth a little bit because I really didn't know a whole lot about him um, because he was locked up for the majority of my life. And uh, I asked him uh, at that same time, I was going into the police academy. So I asked him if he wanted me to look into his case. And he kind of said, no, you know, I kind of know what this system is about. I kind of just want to leave it alone and just be able to take care of my kids and enjoy my grandkids for as much time as I have left in life. Um, fast forward about a year from that, he gets a call from the state and a probation officer saying that he needs to wear a GPS monitor and it'll be on him indefinitely. So um, something that I didn't know is that when you get a life sentence, uh, that means the state can monitor you for the rest of your life. Um, not only did they put him on a GPS monitor, but they also told him he had to pay for the GPS monitor. Um, which was, I believe, four hours a day, and he's coming out. Of, yeah, and he's coming out of prison after serving 27 years. Obviously, he doesn't have any education or work experience, so he's already forced to to work a minimum minimum wage job. And along with that, you're going to make him pay for this system. Oh, and if he doesn't pay for the system, he goes back to jail. Wow. So, okay. So let me just ask you. So, so you said he got life in prison, mm-hmm. right? But then he was able to get parole. Yeah, so he got initially got two life sentences plus seven okay. years. So the first he appealed the first life sentence um, because he his lawyer argued that um, he didn't kidnap the woman twice, um, which is what he was convicted over. So because uh, at the ATM that they were located at where the crime happened at, the woman claims that he grabbed her, uh, drug her behind the ATM, changed his mind, 
then then uh, put her in a vehicle and drove around. So the prosecution argued that he kidnapped her essentially two times. Two years after his conviction, uh, a lawyer out of New Jersey came and argued that no, he if you if we don't think he kidnapped her anyway, but if he did, he only kidnapped her one time, meaning we have to throw one of the life sentences out. The judge agreed, one of the life sentences thrown out. After I believe it was 22 years, he started going up for parole. Um, in the state of Delaware, and he eventually made parole at 27 years, which is when he was released. Okay, so, so sorry, now you've triggered something else I have to talk about, right? Because people don't understand, um, and especially from the cop perspective, right? Uh, you hear technicality, right? You hear legal technicality, and you go, oh, man, right? Yeah. And so what you're talking about, which is interesting, that the two life sentences with the kidnapping twice, right? did it, didn't do it, whatever. I mean, just talking about the legal challenges, those are why these types of things happen, right? So um, I think a lot of times, again, this is just my opinion, people fail to understand all parts of it. You know, I, I was talking about, just as an aside, um, I was talking to somebody today about about funding, right? Getting funding for law enforcement and different things and, 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 and oh, sorry, someone's coming, someone's coming in. Let me let, let her in. Um, we, people don't want to pay for the law enforcement. Right. But then when a crime happens to them, they're like, why, why are there not officers? Right. So it, it's totally about perspective. Right. And sometimes people cannot put themselves in other people's shoes and, and step into that kind of perspective. And so I think it's interesting about the, the legal challenge because most people just look at it from the one side. Right. And yeah, so, yeah. so, so he got out on parole. And so you're thinking that he, um, did his sentence. I'm just trying to get into his head. He did his sentence and, and he's shown he's mitigated his behavior or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so he's going to get out and to try to finally be able to live his life. But no, yeah. now all of a sudden you've got all these restrictions. And I think it, it was worse too, because talk about the inability to like, he couldn't do anything, right? He couldn't go anywhere. How far could he go from the house? Like, so he couldn't, you know, like you're free, but you're not free, right? You want to speak on that? Um, correct. Yeah. Of course, you could not leave the state. Um, at first, he did have a curfew. Also, and a lot of times with the with the monitoring system that they put on his leg, they had a, a monitoring system on his leg, and it would go off. So he was working, like Rashad said, he was working a, a job in a restaurant. And there have been times when, of course, the, you're working in a restaurant, so it would go so many hours and the thing would, would um, actually go off. And um, he would be basically terrorized, you know, terrified that he was going to go back to prison, even though he was at work. Because they so there have was, to come were, and redo the whole deal and make sure. Well, they would call. To be. They would call. They know where he is, but it, it would go off saying that you had to be back home to charge it. Oh, so a lot of times you, he would try to run home, like it would go off or he would try to make an excuse for the job. Like I got to leave and he would run home or he would call me in a panic that he had to get home um, because that thing had, was going off. Of course, you know, you're trying to get home. It's, he, he, he works blocks from my house, like about two miles, I would say, from my house. So he's trying to run up the street or trying to call me to please come get him. Um, Rashad helped him in a way by buying him some kind of charger thing. There you go. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> but it was this, it was this charger thing 
that he would have, but he didn't want people at work to know about it. So a lot of times he would take the thing and like wrap it all around his body, stick it down the side of his pants and try to charge it and try to work and try to keep it disclosed because he didn't want anybody to know that it was going off. Did that's yeah, just so, a lot of stuff. Yeah. That you don't even. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, there were a lot of things to go I mean, along like, with my mother's talking about with the, with the, the charging of it. That means he can't work because it goes off every six hours. He can't work an eight hour shift right. and have a full time job. So he can't get a job uh, essentially with benefits to go on top of that. He has to pay for it. The financial aspect of it. Um, I don't live inside of the state. So he can't leave outside of the state to see, you know, my children and, and do some all the things that we, you know, love to do as a family. Yeah, um, so, so you're trying and, to get rid of it, right? So you were like, yeah. this is, you know, yeah, we're, so we're trying exactly. to get rid of that, right? That's mm-hmm. that's what we've been talking about, trying to, yeah. you know, so that fast, Yeah, so that fast forwards us up to now where we went to, we went in front of the, we, we made a petition to the Delaware Parole Board in order to get some relief of this uh, GPS monitoring and having to go to see probation officer. I mean, I just found out recently, you know, we always as a family celebrate um, Halloween. And if mom, if you want to tell them um, what, what exactly goes on with that. Yeah, we had, um, we had um, spent time with Rashad and Rashad didn't know about this, but when, when you're on certain lists, you're not in any way allowed to have um, any type of decorations for Halloween. So he would, you would be on a stipulation also on, on the day of October 31st, you had to be in the house by six o'clock. Even if you had a job, you got to have to make an excuse on why you had to be in the house. We could no longer like give out anything to any neighborhood children or anything like that, which was something that like when the kids growing up and stuff, I have a porch in our neighborhood, we would be the family would, that would give stuff out. I couldn't even, I wasn't even allowed to put a pumpkin on the front of my house for like Thanksgiving. To me, it was for Thanksgiving or harvest time. Of course, they saw it as being some type of um, decoration for Halloween. Yeah. So when so, you're on parole, you can have a, a Halloween decoration? So it's you are because, okay. a crime. Yeah, yeah. The crime because, of the, because of the crime itself, because he had a sexual assault charge, a third degree sexual assault charge, where the woman um, uh, claims that he touched her thigh and he grabbed her hand. Back I can understand that with the kids, but a pumpkin. Yeah, yeah. It, no, not, we it was considered decorations yeah. for for the holiday. Yeah, for Halloween. Oh. Even though for us it wasn't, it was it was about harvest time, Thanksgiving. Right. Wasn't allowed to have that. Wow. Was allowed, had to like actually make sure that my lights and stuff was turned off. So you weren't enticing kids to the house or something, I That's guess? Correct. That Even that though true? he's never been charged with anything yeah. concerning any children. Wow. Nothing at all. Right. Nothing. And going Nothing. back to the wrong, the wrongful part, right? Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. Like, exactly. Okay, man. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, so we got all this going on and then, um, you guys had, you went to a he- hearing or whatever happened and then you had appealed to the governor. Was it the governor? Is that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that speeds us up to now where we go in front of the uh, Delaware parole and pr- pardon and parole board. And we essentially ask them for some kind of relief uh, because Daniel, this is now almost 34 years later after this crime. Uh, we don't admit to the crime at all. Daniel didn't admit to the crime at all. And we went in front of the board and asked, we didn't even ask for a pardon at the time. We just asked for some relief when it comes to him having to wear this monitor so he can have his life back. So he can work an eight hour shift so he can come and visit his grandkids. So he can be a father to me who was growing up without a father, you know? Um, 
And so that, that was, and that's where we left off with me speaking with someone at the attorney general's office and asking them um, for some of the evidence that was um, Be- preserved from back then. Because uh, if I remember correctly, um, the, the board was going to make their decision. It was under review, but then they got the nasty letter, right? Mm-hmm. They got the nasty right. letter. And so um, did they, did they decide no, or you felt that that was going to negatively impact it? And then that's why you went to, to speak to the gentleman. No, we didn't, we didn't know about the letter, um, yeah. until we spoke to the gentleman, um, mm-hmm. the gentleman that we essentially spoke to, he, he was, he was, he was very truthful in saying that and, and stick it to his meeting saying, you know, I'll meet with you. I'll listen to what evidence you have. So after Daniel had got out and we, and he got on a GPS monitoring, we put a, a um, Freedom of Information Act request into the FBI and the FBI sent this information back saying that your father was nowhere. We don't have any evidence that your father was inside of that vehicle that the woman said that he was in. We have fingerprints from the suspect. We have DNA from the suspect. We have all your father's fingerprints, DNA, blood, hair fibers, everything from your father. We can't find one thing that matches your father. Okay, so we kind of we kind of had two things going on where so you've got the parole board that's going to make this decision, but then through the what we were looking at, right, normal investigation, right, to go against mm-hmm. the wrongful thing. Yeah, we found out that there is some backdoor, you know, letters and commentary and maybe some nefarious potential yeah. relationships and mm-hmm. and so you know we we were not very hopeful right because we felt that I guess from what you expressed from what you heard that there were there were some insider ties to the police department and they weren't having any of this they weren't going to have any of this release yeah. or they weren't going to deal with it right and I think that's, yeah, th- that's where we you. left off right yeah thank you for that um for those who don't know what she's speaking of when I was when I'm speaking to the gentleman at the attorney general's office he tell, he's telling me that he can't seem to find the evidence from back then and that a friend of his work that he that works for him, um, who's essentially in charge of the investigations, is telling him that Daniel Coleman is guilty of this crime, you know, kind of just push it by the wayside. Right. So I didn't know who this friend of his was. And I sent Christine a list of all the officers that were a part of my father's case back in 1987. And she did some investigative work into matching. Not only was the person that works at the attorney general right now a part of that arresting police agency, but he was the interrogator of my father. He was the arresting sergeant of my father. And he testified in court that my father admitted to the crime. Mm. And now we're relying on him to go find the evidence to show that he wasn't being truthful when he was on the stand. So thank you for that. I mean, that was that was a bombshell for us. Okay. Yeah, that, well, that just... was shocking. That was really shocking for me because I, I was shocked that 30 something years, 35 years later, that anybody in the case was still like still around yeah, still in those around. type of positions. Like I, I would have thought they would have gone on and did something else. But I, I, I think um, I don't know. I, I know we didn't go over the whole case, but I think one of the uh, some one of the things that was really essential for me it was at the time when they stopped Daniel. Daniel was walking to work. They they stopped him. They brought the victim to uh, to Daniel, shined a light on him, and the victim said, "That's not him." Mm. At the exact same time this is going on, the police are chasing after another man who was actually by the police station, left a coat, 
was chasing him behind the police station, grabbed the coat that the man had on, took it back to the victim and said, and the victim said, that's the coat the man had on that just attacked me. So Daniel could not possibly have been at the McDonald's standing there with the victim and the police. At the same time, another police officer was chasing another man, got the coat, took it back to the victim and the victim said, that's the coat the person had on. Yeah. Who attacked? Me. And to go back to what you were saying, also, Christina, um, there was a letter written. Written. Um, so when you go to to a part of parole uh, in the pardon board, you have to send out information saying that you're seeking a pardon from the governor. Right. So the governor the victims, then, right? Yeah. yeah. So, the, so the victim. Yep. Yeah. So the victim gets notified, and they want their input. The arresting agency gets notified; they want their input. The judge gets notified. The prosecutor gets notified. Everybody in your case gets notified. So what we eventually found out is that the arresting agency um, not not only said that we don't want Daniel to get a pardon, but he's also guilty of committing another crime that he was never found guilty of committing. So they threw that was never went to that was the neighbor, right? That they yeah. never investigated or whatever exactly. they just lumped it with. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, so so let's talk about um, I guess the news. Like let's let's talk about that update, and then because we're kind of working two things here, we're talking about you know can he unentangle himself from all this stuff, and then you know what are we going to go back to? I mean, uh, you know, for the original case, and now it, it it sounds like you know we've got some other you know, uh, cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, yeah. right? Yeah. Which whatever they're trying to bake, we don't know. Um, but yeah, so so what's the what's the update as far as we were waiting to hear from? Was it the parole board's decision or was it this 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 cold case guy or whatever? Was it yeah. his decision? So after we went in front of the parole board, the parole board, the parole part of the parole board essentially said, you know, we're going to recommend for the governor to give you some kind of relief. Um, for your GPS monitoring, for the things that you're going through right now, because we see that this is no way for somebody to live. And after the, serving is that when years. the letter came or was the letter no. after that? No. So the governor can still deny it. The governor can look at the arresting agency and say, we're not letting this guy free. We still need to monitor this guy. This and guy that's where the other time. guy came in, right? That's where the other guy comes Which in. Which we're going to leave him nameless right now. But yeah. <laughs> yeah the, nobody can yeah. see my face, right? We're going to be like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so we're waiting, 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 and then my um, uh, a couple weeks ago, my father gets a letter, and the the governor of Delaware says that your commutation grant, your, your commutation request has been granted. So we're going to yeah, we're going to take off your GPS monitoring. You can now travel. You no longer have to see a probation officer. And the most important thing which is your off the sex offenders list. So all those things that oh, go along with being a sex offender. Oh, wow. Yeah, my, I got my up. hair standing up on my arms. So, yeah, yeah. We were so excited to get that information. Other so you more. can do Halloween, right? You can, can do Yeah, right? You can do everything. <laughs> for all the, I mean, that's yeah. exciting, right? So your yeah. kids and everybody's, that's, that's amazing. So, um, yeah. wow, that's just... Um, so how many years, how many years is that, right? 34, yeah, 34? we shot a little shy of 35. 34. Yep. 34 yeah. years he's been yeah. connected to this crime well, and served and, the time for this crime. And I mean, from a perspective, right? Because like, you know, I don't, 
know you or your dad or anybody. Right. And, and, Mm -hmm. um, you look at that and you say, you know, if it was true, okay, how, how much, you know, you do your time, you do this, whatever. I, I mean, we can just look at the news and see kind of what, what's going on with sentences and whatever. And then, um, just to have to go through that, like how much is enough? I, I think I did a, po- a post about that. Like how, how, when is enough enough? Like how much is enough? And, um, so that's just, that's just so amazing. And then, you know, when you then look at it and you say he didn't even do it in the first place, you know, that's like yeah. adding insult to injury. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. And that's, and that's when you feel real bad about, it. I mean, yeah, it's good. It's great that we're, yeah getting the commutation, but it still doesn't erase someone being in this system for 34 years for a crime that they never committed. Yeah. So, okay. So with that, and, so you and- get this letter. Did you hear from the guy, the guy uh, about this evidence or what, what, what is, what is that? Like, does, I mean, did you ever follow up with him or do you think, because I'm thinking now we need to start reinvestigating, although that kind of sounds like a dead end, but did, did he come back to you with what you had learned that, that he has any input on that or. Oh, we, we've, we've never, we've never let up on him at all. <laughs> We're still hot, hot on his trail. And uh, so you have two guys, right? So you have the initial guy that works for the DOJ that's saying, I'm looking into the investigation. And then you have his investigators. And so one of his investigators is the one that was kind of stonewalling it. Right. Cause he was so on he, the original case. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So the guy that's from the DOJ, he was saying, look, I think your father should get some some leniency here. I mean, this is this is kind of crazy. He even told me that based on even if your father did commit the crimes that he was found guilty. Of committing, yeah. Well, he does. He, he, he should have never been on the sex offenders list for what he's done. Like if it you wasn't put everybody necessarily as sex exactly. offense as, you know, UCR or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It didn't well, meet that threshold. Well, so it so, didn't, right. it didn't meet the level to be on it. So, but I mean, we've got a couple different things that we were talking about, you know, like this, this, I mean, we could talk about the ATM picture and whatever. So, so was, did you get the feeling and, and I apologize to everybody that's listening, right? There's so, kind of so many moving parts to this case. I don't remember when you talked to the guy, mm-hmm. um, the head guy and, and was he agreeable before he talked to his buddy and then he talks to his buddy and then. Exactly. So and when it's we, like, I, I can't help you or everything's missing or like, do we need to call the newspaper? Like, I, I just have such a bad feeling. Can, can I just chime in just a little bit? Um, when we went in, when we went before the parole board, uh, this guy had questions for us, which we thought was really interesting. The parole um, board we or the head guy? The, the head guy who was at the parole board. He had questions. He asked us, was anyone ever convicted of the other crime? And we're like looking at each other, like, how would we know that? Like, you know, that's your job. He, (laughs) he, he let us know that he was looking at the, the crime itself. And he said he had been up and he had been reading a lot about the crime. And there was a lot of things about the crime that he didn't understand. And we're looking at each other like, yeah, I mean, because he's telling us that he saw a whole lot of red flags on how this man was even convicted and asking us. And I thought that was like, that was really shocking for us mm-hmm. to, to, to hear that. Yeah. Well, from people so who are holding your, your husband so many years. Well, something didn't sit right with him. Right. And then that's what, exactly. 
when you reached out to him, Rashad, and got the meeting. Correct, correct. And then yeah. we come to find out that, you know, despite his interest, you know, it, 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 it we may not get anything from that level. Yeah, despite, despite his interest, uh, because he works with somebody that is essentially, was essentially a part of the case, you know, what... I, I mean, I don't know the exact words because I'm not in, you know, I'm not in those rooms, but his attitude changed after he talked to this person. So at first he was just energetic. Wow, this FBI evidence, man, I, I need to take a look at this. I do have some questions about the other crime and what happened and things of that sort. And then mm -hmm. when I spoke with him, it was a totally different tune. So that's mm -hmm. why we left off with, he was going to go back and look for the evidence. He okay. was going to go back and try to find his evidence so we could test it. And so what happened to that? So we go back again to meet with them, and he essentially says that um, he's been requesting the evidence, but that the, the lo this local agency has failed to produce any of the evidence um, from that case. So, but they say everything's gone. <laughs> yeah, he said he said that without saying it. So he was like, kind of, you know, I don't know. It's been a long time. I don't know if they still have. I sent in a request. You know, sometimes because it's this long, they could throw things away. Stuff could get destroyed. So you know, we had the issue where I guess some of it was sent to the FBI. I'm trying to remember. And again, I apologize. Too many yeah. cases, you know. Um, uh, so, but I'm trying to think if there was a conviction, would the, would the court have it? Or would it go back to the agency? Or I'm just trying to think of avenues. I'm just looking at Jesus to tell me that one day in my dream because we cannot find it. And I, that's why I kind of passed. That's why I'm going to pass the ball uh, to my mother um, with her experience with the Pathonitary Court, is it called? Pathonitary. Yes, Pathonitary's office. The what? Um, Rashad told us to go to Pathonitary's office. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Rashad asked us to go to the Pathonitary's office and ask them if we could, if, if we could find if there was anything about the case in the records department. Yeah. Because previously we had went to the records department and a gentleman had told us he, that he looked for two weeks and he couldn't find anything about the case at all in his files. So Rashad asked us to go again. So we went back and there was another lady. We went, we filled out the form saying, we just want to know, is there anything, uh, any type of records yep. concerning this case? So the young lady went back and she got the manager and the manager came out and she was like, what exactly do you, do y'all need records for now? Which I thought was kind of strange. Now. And then she said, now, yeah, why, why, right. Why do we need records? Hmm. So, so she asked us, why do we need records? And we were telling them uh, that we were, you know, trying to look back into the case and so she asked us to give her an official letter, even though we filled out the form, which was the official form that was sitting there. She wanted an official letter saying what, why we needed um, records or why we were requesting. And we asked, even if you can't find anything, can we have it in writing that there's nothing, no records of this case? We submitted the letter twice. Um, they don't return our calls. Um, we've even gone up there to say, you know, we gave the, you the letter that you asked us for. And every time we try to go up there, they, the manager says, or someone says for the manager that she's not there. Yeah. So she's not available to them. So, so you got no formal denial. Response. Right. Yeah. Nope. 
Nothing at all. And, and a Basan, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce the word, Basana but the Basanitary Basanitary Court, it's where they keep um, all the court documents okay. um, when you go to trial for the state of Delaware. So because they were able to go to the state of Delaware in this court and get all the court transcripts, my thought process was maybe they still have some evidence. And even if they don't have the physical evidence, they should have a chain of custody to say where the evidence has went, right? What happened that's to the evidence? That. So that's what we're looking for. So we, so we kept the, the letter like very strict on, we don't want the evidence. We're not telling you to just hand us the We just want to know where it is. Chain All we want to know is where, that's it. All we want to know where it is. And if, and if it's been destroyed, we just want a letter saying it's been destroyed at this time. And this is the person that gave the authorization to destroy it. And we can get absolutely nothing. Okay. Everybody's hiding from us. Nobody wants to talk to us about it. Okay. So, so now we've moved off of, of the parole issue, right? And we're looking at what, what can we do um, to get, so, so that, so that just so I can get up to speed. So the FBI supposedly, um, was that having to do with the ATM picture or what was the FBI having to do? Was that with the code or the DNA? What, what supposedly, how did the FBI get involved? The the local police department they they collected eight fingerprints and one palm print from the vehicle uh, that the lady was allegedly kidnapped. They also collected fingerprints from a window um, of a woman that had been raped the same night and the neighbor's window that the same person tried to get into. Um, they collected hair fibers from the floor of the vehicle that um, the lady was kidnapped in, and they collected uh, my father's sneakers along with his jacket, all his clothing, his um, cut his hair, his pubic hairs, everything. Collected all this evidence to send to the FBI in 1987 to match Daniel Coleman with the suspect's um, evidence. Okay, and so is there notice in the, or in the trial file that that was not a match? There is nothing inside the trial from either the lawyer that was representing my father or the prosecutor that says anything about the FBI, about any fingerprints, about any jackets, nothing. So at how all. do you know Not they attention. sent it to the FBI? I'm just thinking through the mm -hmm. process of where we yeah. need to go with that. How do you know about that? The initial police report referenced that uh, one of the detectives had collected all the evidence and drove the evidence to the FBI, which piqued my interest initially about the FBI. Which is okay. why I went back to my father and said, what, what's going on with this FBI? Why is the FBI being referenced inside of your case? Okay, so did we reach out to the FBI? Yes. Okay. So the FBI just gave us, they answered the Freedom Information Act report, just saying that nothing that we have pertaining to this case matches Daniel Coleman. We reached back out to them to ask them um, for any evidence that they might have, for any physical evidence they might have, and they just continually shoot down um, our request. I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily that they're hiding something or that I'm just, you know, how the FBI is, if you don't send it in a particular exactly right. way, it, the, the exact way. Yeah. They'll just, they'll send you a generic letter back, just shooting you down saying, okay. So, so they're saying it's not a match, but they're not telling you that they don't have anything. Correct. Okay. So, so one of the things that we need to do is to figure out how to request it properly, right. How to get a status, right. Yes. Okay, so that's that we have that assignment to figure out, right? Maybe we need to get an ASAC or SEC or somebody in that office. Um, what office is that? That was just a, through the Freedom of Information Act, um, Freedom of Information Act Department. 
of the okay, FBI. So what FBI office would they have given it to? Oof. So we need to yeah. figure that out. Okay. So yeah. we need to work on that FBI. I, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and to go, if you want to also, I don't know if you want to dive into this yet, but we were dil diligently trying to contact his first lawyer because we never, we never saw the FBI be brought into the case. And we were able to eventually get in contact with the her. Effectiveness of counsel. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So we spoke with her. Um, we sent her an official letter. We sent her a couple of letters, uh, which she never responded to. We left a couple of messages, sent a couple of emails, never got a response. So then we sent an official letter where she would have to sign for the letter. And sure enough, the next day she called my father um, and, and, you know, talked to him a little bit about the case. And I talked to her the following day about the case. And I mean, this conversation was, I've seen a lot in, in, in police work and in courts, but this conversation was amazing that a woman who was a defense attorney represented a guy to, that got two life sentences. And she says, I don't remember that case from back then. So did she have any files? She said she went back and reached out to the, to the, to the office that, she worked for at the time and they don't have any files. They destroyed all the files in 1995. So she, so in her defense, um, after I kind of tried to jog her memory back and tell her about the FBI evidence um, from the Freedom of Information Act that I was able to get, she did say, if I, I'm pretty sure, even though I don't remember the case. I would have introduced that. I would have introduced that. I mean, come on. That's like, you know, day one stuff. I would have said something about that. So I don't know. I mean, I'm, that's my question to you is, is what, do you, what do you think about, about that conversation? And I was actually shocked when Rashad told me that it was an FBI case because I was there at the trial. And I'm like, when he came back and he told us that it was an FBI case, I was, I was like, well, when did the FBI get involved? Because there was barely any witnesses in the case, period, um, at all. So definitely, I would have remembered the FBI. And I told Rashad, I, there was never any FBI anybody from the FBI ever testified well, in this case, or it yeah. was never talked about that the FBI was involved at all. Well, it just, it just happens like just, I mean, we're talking about a different time frame, and, you know, back in the day, um, a lot of the police departments, you know, they were smaller police departments, they don't have funding. So they all go to a state, you know, they don't have their own lab, they'll go to a state crime lab, or they'll go to the FBI. Um, because they were the experts at that at that time, or maybe, you know, given the fact that it's, you know, near Washington, D.C., like maybe that's close, right? And that that's mm -hmm. their go to person. So, um, you know, depending how the defense wants to do the case, I mean, you may have evidence and you may have witnesses that the attorney, for whatever reason, decides not to call. Okay, so we don't know if we have a Brady issue here that that information from the prosecution wasn't shared with the defense right, or right. we don't know what happened. So just because just because they weren't called doesn't mean. I don't know, that's that's something that we're going to have to look at. You know, the other thing, too, is I think we'd have to look at the um, the file information for like with the record retention or somebody that took over her office or anything like that. I, I still think that there's a lot of potential repositories for this information between the clerk's mm. office. And um, so, you know, offline we can sit and we can get together and, and, and try to figure out um, where we need to go with do you that. Wanna, do you want to explain what that Brady, when you say, when you reference the Brady issue is to the audience also, because that was, 
that was I've been studying that a lot. And that's a very important case when it comes to wrongful convictions. Yeah. So um, most people think about Brady for officer malfeasance or, you know, improper or not testifying properly, but it really can come up, you know, and I'm not a lawyer. Um, I just worked a lot on the defense side, right. That um, there's just requirements to turn over evidence and what, what they call discovery. And um, it, it can be, I think it's Maryland versus Brady. If I, yes, you know. correct. Um, we just call it Brady. And if, if they don't turn it over, cause they have to turn over exculpatory information, there has to be um, a good, which, you know, depending on what side you're on, you can sit there and go, well, gosh, if I have to give this information, you know, how am I going to win? Cause I want to have this like surprise attack, right? Like it's, it's like, if you, if you go to war and you know, everybody's position and what kind of tanks and stuff, you're like, how am I going to yeah. win? Right. But yeah. in the, in the courtroom, it's a little bit different because everybody, um, you know, you have an opportunity so that nothing comes up and, and bites you on the stand or whatever, the opportunity to interview people and to know what they're going to testify about and things of that nature. And so, I mean, I, I don't even know what to say, because obviously, um, even if let's just say the FBI came back and said it is a match me on the defense side, I'm going to attack that. OK, I'm going to attack mm -hmm. it from a bunch of different reasons. But that being missing, that's a huge potential for what could be called prosecutorial misconduct under Brady yeah. or ineffectiveness of counsel on the defense side that they knew about it or should have known about it or whatever and, and didn't bring it up. I mean, this is one of the things that when I, I talk about, I teach about having a competent investigation, right? And, and mm -hmm. attorneys, most attorneys haven't been cops, and even most private investigators haven't been cops. And so you really need a good understanding about how all these things come into play. Because if you don't know what to ask for, you're not going to know that something's missing, right? So, so as a, as a police officer, like, you know, that stuff goes to the crime lab, and you know, that there's people working on that. And, and so from the chain of custody. Well, how, how did that answer come, right? Like who matched the fingerprints or who did this or who? So if you don't even know to ask for that, that's, that's a huge problem. But yeah, so I would hope that she would have brought that up, but yeah, I mean, not having her files, I, I, I don't know, but so that's a potential avenue for, um, arguing whatever. Right. So, so when you're on the other side of a case, and you feel that something is wrong, you have recourse, you know, constitutionally or whatever, and you have to figure out what, that's why when you see these, these cases, like the making of a murder or whatever, and okay, we're going to try this, and then we're going to try this, and we're going to try this, you, you, you have to figure out what you think went wrong and find a statute or a constitutional issue that applies to it. And then and then argue it, right? You're, you're arguing on the other side. And so that's, yeah. that's what we're looking at, at right now, you know, um, is it going to go on um, a procedural issue, which we were talking about before um, on, on a technicality, which people don't tend to like, or can it be something of a factual innocence? Like we've seen where people witnesses come back and say, I got it wrong, or they do the DNA where you just know that it's, it's not that person. And then it's, yeah. you know, factual. So. And, it, and the, and yeah, and, and you make, you make some great points there. Um, and that's what we're, we're at as a family is trying to look at, is it a Brady issue that the prosecutor knew about this evidence, which they did, which we have 
We, we have evidence stating. How do you know that, that they knew about it? So on the FBI Freedom of Information Act request, they have timestamps on the paperwork saying we sent this information back to Newark Police Department on this date. And that date was before his court date. Okay, well, just because so, the poli- just because the police department knew about it, yeah, doesn't mean that the prosecutor knew about it. True. So, so some, and and it doesn't mean that they didn't turn it over to the lawyer. You know, so that's where we're kind of at. Is it the, or is it the arresting agency that got the information and didn't turn it over? Is it the prosecutor that got the information and didn't turn it over? Did the attorney get the information and just? was ineffective and knowing what to do with that information. So that's, that's kind of where we're stuck at right now. Well, and that, and that's what I think we need to, you know, start, we need to look at some things with the FBI and, you know, not to take it away from, you know, everybody who's online, but, you know, we'll have some offline conversations about, I just think we need to start asking some hard questions of everybody that's involved and then figure out where we're going to go. And then we can come back on and, you know, we can update everybody as to, what what we're doing with that because you know we yeah. kind of we do want to be sneaky about that um yeah. in a, in a certain sense but yeah we just someone we need to start asking questions and people need to start providing answers and then if if you don't have an answer sometimes you can do something with that too right mm-hmm. which so, which is which is essentially what we we're trying to we're trying to get to i mean we we've got a contact with the judge also i know it's a lot <laughs> it's a lot but we got a contact with the judge yeah. that uh sentenced him to two life sentences also pretty recently. Um, and he said he doesn't remember the case at all. Um, I mean, he essentially just said, you know, good luck with trying to, trying to, trying to get your father, um, his justice. Um, yeah. And let but, me, let me remind me. So the, the guy, the big guy, is he with the conviction integrity unit? Is he, he's what a, he's what a unit called, uh, it's, it's called the actual innocence project, which is brought on by our the Delaware attorney general, um, as a means to right the wrong for a lot of, uh, wrongful convictions. So she okay. says. So he would be the one doing this, right? Yes, you would think. <laughs> okay. Well, so did he cancel it? Like, did he say, "I'm done with this"? Uh, n- not yet. But I'm pretty sure that I'm. I'm pretty sure that the last time I spoke with him, he kind of sounded like you know I spent a lot of time on this case. I'm kind of really not getting anywhere when it comes to the evidence, and the only way I can reopen the case is if I had evidence tracing back to someone else okay because i don't have the evidence so that kind of means i I have to eventually well i think we need to look at having him recuse himself you know like like when you have something that happens in the department they go outside right because i i think there's a huge conflict there so we can talk about that too right um because i don't know how that works like it that's not like um I, i don't assume right this is just my assumption of of whatever that's like, I just messed that up, but uh, I'm just assuming that it's not like, like a police official, you know, that not everybody has an integrity unit. Right. So it's like, we just can't hand the ball off to someone else because it's probably not a paid funded who knows. So we'd have to figure out how that goes. But um, I think if the governor made the decision I think a well-written letter presenting the facts because that's egg on the face to the governor, right? Mm -hmm. If, if we talk to the governor and say, um, you know, thank you so much. Very grateful. Cause it's done. Right. We talked about stirring up stuff before it was done and pointing out the, the potential conflict of interest that you're hitting a brick wall. 
and, and asking for some other resources. Right. So, um, along with election, right. So we need to look at that too, but that, so that's something yeah. we can talk about and we'll just, you know, figure out where to go next, but that's super, super, super awesome. News. Yeah. Yeah. So when, yeah, yeah. So, when, was, when was that official? Man, that was, so there was another, a, a little hiccup. So he gets his, he gets his, he gets the letter. Uh, the next day he goes to his probation officer with the letter. He's like, cut it off, officer. yeah? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The probation officer says, all right, hold your horses. I got to get this letter from the governor. So when I get it from the governor, governor I'll take it off. Um, so he gets that taken off. Then he shoots out to the state police department uh, to tell them, look, take my take my picture off of that website that says I'm a sex offender. And they tell him, uh, no, the governor has something wrong on his paperwork. So we can't take your name down. We can't do anything for you until we get something from the governor correcting what's wrong on the paperwork. So we were just like, oh, man. Oh, but, my God. But to the governor's, to, to the governor's um, applause, I guess, within a week, he admitted <laughs> so the paperwork. God, like, get that. <laughs> he admitted the paperwork, and we got everything off. And for the first time this past weekend, um, just on a happy note, my father got to come down to my house. Yes. We went wow. to the Lincoln Memorial. Oh. We went to the Martin Luther King Memorial and traveled around D.C. and yes. got to see all the things that he's always, you know, looked at on TV from a jail cell, um, never thinking that he would ever get to these places. Oh. And we were able to get him there. And, I'm yeah. getting out. I'll miss the eye. I'm yeah. so, we were so happy. <laughs> we, were like we were like kids. Like, yeah. like what are these old people acting like little kids? <laughs> Rode the, you know, the train for the first time. I think to yeah. point, you get frozen in time at that age, right? Yeah. So you he go was, back to to all that yeah. stuff. So he was very like very nervous on the train, like very like just the train was so. <laughs> well, everything he was going over state be line. So was, crazy different, and, <laughs> yeah. and that he was and just like fear, you know. Yeah, he was so like he didn't talk much. He was and he admitted that he was he was he was very anxious on the train, like. Like he was happy, but he didn't know. Like, is this a dream? Am I? Am I? Am I actually like yeah. going over a state line? Am I actually going to yeah. be able to go yeah. see my family? And now he's like, I need to go to see to Virginia because he has a, uh, a uncle that's like in his nineties, and he was like, I would love to get to see him, like see my family. I haven't seen him since I was like young, very very young. And he's like, and I just want to see died. my family. Yeah, his, his mother died while he was in jail, and his brother, his brother died. just recently passed the other day. Yeah, and uh, his yeah. father is in real bad shape right now, um, so we're yeah. praying for him. But he's got yeah. a lot going on. Um, but to say that, I mean, he's still standing. This mm -hmm. dude is still standing. He's the most patient person. I mean, yeah. I would have been livid inside of that state police place if they would have told me I can't get off this list because of some paperwork yeah. error, yeah. and I've been waiting thirty four years for this. Yeah. But you know yeah. what? I think they 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 do talk about right. I'm not familiar with it, but institutionalization, right? From from yeah. that, and so he he's been indoctrinated into that. Here's the mm -hmm. rule, and you're going to go along and don't yeah. don't act out on it, right? So yeah. so you'll have to re retrain him to be yeah. you know yeah. celebratory and excited and, and everything right. like that. So, and that you can say no. And if you can yeah. say, I don't yeah, like that's him. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, huge. that's, that's huge. That was a hard thing. Up, right? That's, yeah. yeah. That's wow. been, I think that's been one of the hardest. I think from him being, and I mean, he's adjusted very well. He's a very humble person. Mm -hmm. He's the only person in my life that I've ever seen that picks up the Bible and reads it every day. I have not, he's been home some years. It's not a day that came and went that I did not see him pick up the Bible and pray. And, um, He's been a blessing to our family. Our children love him. He loves his children. 
he's not bitter. Mm. Um, even when it comes to the seals and stuff, he's like, well, they had a job to do. Um, I've never seen grace. anybody with a mental yeah. strength like like he has. Yeah. But he's but then there's other things like sometimes I'm like, look, you gotta come out this room. You don't have to sit there and read and look out the window. But that's all like, he knows. That's yeah. all he knows. Yeah. Come on, we gotta yeah. go out. But now he's like, since he went to Rashad's house and we had fun. He's like, where he's we like, going? Where are we going next? Like, okay, we're gonna go to Wildwood. He's going to yeah. the State Fair and now State he's going Fair, to yeah. Wildwood. Oh. So he's like, all these little places like in fact, when we got home from Rashad's, he was like, we got to get some tires. So we went and got some tires <laughs> from our old car so we can get, get <laughs> he's the road. Go. He's yeah, I, I, I recently watched a podcast with a guy who did, uh, he was a, uh, a mortgage fraud person a little while ago. He did 12 years. And he said it, it made so much sense. And it clarified some things for me in terms of me trying to get to know my father. Um, he said when he first got sentenced, he got sentenced to 23 years. And he said, he said I committed the crime. He said, I didn't know I was going to get that much time, but, you know, I kind of deserved it for all the things that I've done. And he said he was sitting in the cell. And after the 23 years came, he said some guy was next to him who had been in jail for about 10 years. And he said, I cannot do 23 years. He said, he said, I don't know what I'm going to do to myself. I cannot do 23 years. And he said, the guy looks at him and says, you don't have to worry about doing anything. They're going to make you do it. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to make you serve 23 years. You don't have to worry about doing anything because you're here now. They're going to make you do it. And and when I get when I when I look at my dad and I try to just understand him a little better, you know, they made him do it. You know, they because I'm thinking, how can you sit there for 27 years for well, a crime you, you didn't commit? I mean, you know, talking about suicide or I mean, there's no escape from it. Right. Because I think and this is just me talking, right? Because I think we've all been in some bad, not anything like that, but we've all been in bad parts of our lives, right? But he didn't even have the opportunity for any type of relief, right? So I think that's what the guy's saying, like, well, what are you going to do? Like, you can't, you're not going to, whether you believe in that religiously or not, or spiritually, right? You you, you can't, hopefully you don't have the implements in there. And yeah. so what are you going to do? You're just going to get up every day and you're going to do what they tell you to do. Mm-hmm. And you're just going to get on getting on, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that that's just, God, I, I just, I don't know, yeah. you know? Um, so that's just, that's just wonderful to hear. So, so um, I'll reach out. I, I want to, we've got Melanie on here. Maybe she's got an update for us on, um, on uh, her son's case, but um, so I'll reach out to you guys offline and we'll figure out what we'll do. And, and sure. let me just talk to Melanie um, for a minute, but that's just, I'm just so excited. I mean, we still have a lot of work to do, but you know what, if that's yeah. the best, if that's the best thing that you get, that's um, wonderful. Right. So um, yeah, let me get, um, Melanie. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. And, and, yeah. um, Linda, that's so great to have you here. And Melanie, can you yeah. unmute yourself for some reason? I thanks for having us. Know. And we'll, and we'll stand by and listen to Melanie. We want to hear. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Hi. So, uh, how are you doing? So, um, when, when we last left, cause we haven't, we haven't really, um, talked about it. Uh, we were reaching out to the I don't remember exactly what the title is. We were looking for another medical examiner or is he a pathologist? What, what does he call him? He's a forensic, yeah, a forensic pathologist. And he's supposed to be well-renowned. He's um, international and national um, pathologist and he does uh, medical law and 
he's really into, you know, everything. So I'm waiting on him. Uh, well, I'm paying him, of course. So he's waiting to get his last payment. Okay. <laughs> you know, but he did tell me that he was going to, and I asked him, like you told me to ask, well, what am I going to get for the payment? Right. And he said he's going to write a strong report for them to reopen Ryan's case because he feels it's a homicide. And, um, you know, I was like, okay. And he's the second pathologist that has looked at Ryan's uh, crime scene photos and everything said the same thing. Wow. Uh, The first pathologist said, ma'am, you don't need um, another medical report. He said, you need a police uh, investigation, another police investigation. And then the, the, forensic pathologist that I hired said, uh, we definitely, it's a homicide and we need to have the case reopened. So that's wow. what, well, that's, well, that's great news. Yeah. So just to catch everybody up. So, um, and, and, you know, we can do a separate um, one on that when we get that information, but so mm-hmm. Ryan's case, um, you know, he was a truck driver and, um, in Arizona, um, the police just really quickly declared it a, a suicide and, um, so Melanie reached out to me, but based on the information that we have from the police, you know, I, I, if you listen to podcasts, I'm not really happy with the investigation, but not having anything to go on. And one of the things that we were talking about was the fact that the police report and the pathologist uh, or the medical examiner had determined it as suicide based on the hesitation marks and based on the information that the police had provided. And one of the things that we talked about was, I couldn't tell, right? Because my training, Rashad, I don't know if you've had that, but one of the hallmarks is is the hesitation marks, right? And I couldn't even tell whether they were there or not there. And so that's what I told you, Melon. Like, I, I can't even tell you. I mean, I think it was a crappy investigation, but I can't even, I don't really have anything to work with. So the only thing at this point that um, we could refute is the manner of death right? Because we can't get anything reopened despite whatever we think it is until we can get a medical professional to determine it either undetermined or homicide. Then we can go back to the police and say, because once the medical examiner tells the police, I mean, probably in very rare cases, but when, you know, the, because the job, sorry, I'm kind of dancing around, but once the medical examiner tells the police it's this, then they're like, okay. Right. And so if they say homicide, well, then the police are like, oh crap. Now we, you know, we have, or, you know, maybe they're excited. We have this whole big case we have to investigate, but if, if they, you know, view it, like these people immediately seem to view it as suicide, they're like, I'm done and good because we're done. And they go on to the next one. Right. Because, um, and Melanie, we had this conversation about, People don't realize that police departments operate as a business, right? They've got a staff personnel and they got all this stuff to do within the budget. And, and it's, it's a completely different, again, here we're talking about perspective. And so they're going to do what they got to do so that they can keep doing their job and they can show they're effective and whatever. So classification of crimes and investigation is very important. And so once the medical examiner said, it's a suicide there. Great. Okay. We're done. All right. Um, and the agency, I mean, well, I'm not going to say that, but, um, depending on the type of agency and the experience that they have investigating the different type of crimes, that's another issue. So now that, uh, once we get that determination, cause I'm not skilled in that, right. I can tell you 
I would have investigated it differently, right? I'm a police expert, but I'm not a medical expert. So I, I can't, I can't make that determination. So once we have a change of determination, and especially if you've got two, that's great, right? Well, the, the one man, he said he didn't want to get involved due to, I guess, he didn't want to get involved for having to go to court, but he told me, he did tell me that I needed to um, have it reopened. Just like um, he said, because you got to. Well, there's no, uh, nothing there. Like there's no information that like. Right. I, I mean, they didn't get any witnesses. They didn't. There's didn't take one witness. I mean, you're at a truck stop and you didn't take one witness, not even people in the pilot store. You didn't go and say, hey, did y'all hear anything? You know, it was nothing. So what do they have to go off of? Yeah. Rule of the homicide. Yeah. They yeah. Didn't do and anything. Then- and then um, when we looked at the pictures that uh, Lenora was so great to go look at, um, huge homeless encampment and um, just just a lot of opportunity for someone to get into a fight and body position and stuff like that. And so not that we don't care, but I'm at a point like I can't do anything for you until we can change that determination or at least get it to undetermined. And I think it'll be very interesting because we don't have any pathology pictures, which is unheard of for an autopsy. Right. He was even asking me about the pictures. Um, did, did he, they, did he talk to them and that's all they have? Um, he, I, he asked for the name of the lead uh, examiner and he asked for the phone number, but he hasn't given me any more information. So I didn't know if he was waiting for more money. Cause I do, you know, but yep. he's going to get it. Hopefully uh, in a couple more weeks, we'll be done too, right? We all understand that we don't work without getting paid. So (laughs) yeah, I understand. We respect respect the paycheck, but yeah. Yeah. So, well, that sounds like it's, it's getting some more positive information, right? So we'll just keep our, our fingers crossed and it just takes time. And that's the hardest look at, look at Rashad and Linda, right? I mean, and, and, and his dad, like that's, it just takes a, a long time, right? You don't want to rush. Yeah. We got to do it right. And it takes a long time. So we'll be excited to hear from that. So you let me know as soon as um, we hear anything on that. Okay. I'm sorry. Hang on one second, Rashad. And even if he wants to have a preliminary conversation with me, right? Uh, yes. Do, would you mind that? No, I mean, that's fine. He can talk to me, right? Okay. His name is Dr. Shaker. You want sometimes before he, he formalizes something or whatever. So. Okay. Beautiful. Okay. Sorry, okay. Rashad, what were you going to say? No, I was going to ask what the, what the cause of death was. Um, what, what did the, the examiner say? How did the examiner say that he died? Suicide. And No, what, what type of suicide? Like by. Oh, yeah. Stab right through the heart. Stab wound to the heart. Uh-huh. But the knife was off to the side. It's, it's, it's crazy. Did, did, now, I know you said it was near a convenience store. Did, have you been to the convenience store? Um, no, uh, Lenora went. Um, we've looked at all the video and the footage. They supposedly don't have video. There's all kinds of different stories. I don't know if you've listened to the past episodes, but... Um, I'll go back and listen to it. Yeah, they just... Um, uh, the manager was talking about some that some guy had gotten killed out there, Um you know, the, the, there was such a delay in reporting. Yeah. You really need to listen. It's just, it's just really suspicious. Um, and they just basically, and there was rigor and it supposedly just happened. So, and the positioning, but 
you know, Melanie handed me the report. It's what, like a five page report. It's yeah, it was right before Thanksgiving Day. So everybody got called out. Yeah, the about cell, you had a cell phone. Police, hmm. which is traffic. Can't no, find Sandy, a cell phone. You can't find a cell phone? They didn't look All for I it. All I have is my information when he called me that morning and he called his fiance that morning. But and he had a that, cell phone. He had a cell phone, though, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They but won't for give some the reason, records. they say it was uh, thrown out the window, which that was, you know, that was his livelihood, keeping in touch with his family, his children. Did, 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 myself. Did hmm. him and his wife, were they on the same account for their cell phones? Uh, yeah, but she fiance? can't. She tried to go get the information. And yeah. because they say the Privacy Act, they can't give out the, we couldn't pull the, what you call it? It has to be subpoenaed from the police department. And the detective wouldn't do it. I've asked, I asked several, you know. Yeah, we, we're we just getting, we're at a dead end, but I told her either we need a lawsuit or if we can reclassify it, then we can get a subpoena, but yeah. Okay. Crazy. Yeah, we'll go back and listen to it. Crazy, okay. yeah, but yeah, we welcome all the questions. So um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we look forward to hearing that. You know, it sounds like we're making progress, right? I'm so excited for, uh, oh. you know, Rashawn. The Coleman's, yeah. Awesome. And, and Melanie, it sounds like some good news for you too. We just have to be patient. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm. How are you doing? <laughs> are you doing okay? No, not at all. But, you know, um, every minute of the day is different. <laughs> Do so. they have any, um, and I know because you're not in Arizona, but... Um, I don't know how the crime victim type thing would happen or victim services. Um, it, have you looked at maybe getting anything like that, that, that might give you some help or, um, um you mean help psychologically? Well, I'm just saying someone to it? talk to or some type oh. of advocate or it, just anything yeah. at this point. Right. Because, Oh, it, I get it. <laughs> it must be so frustrating just you know, having to deal with it, especially not being there. I, I just yeah. don't personally, cause I don't know jurisdictionally how that works. Um, right. Right. And no, I am. Yes. I do have, you know, my church and I do have, you know, and then, you know, coming from my background, school and everything, criminology, you know, you, but they're very, you know, and everything you and I have said, they question, why didn't they do this? Well, well, that's not our jurisdiction. You know, we're here in Texas and, you know, we wouldn't do it like that. And so you get that and that's disappointing and discouraging because you know what's right and what should have been done, you know, so. So right well, now everything is fine. I'm all okay. right. Well, we got, we got a lot of avenues, kind of like in Rashad's case, right? Or Daniel's case. We need, we need, just need to figure out our plan of attack, right? But we cannot do anything until we get that determination. And let me tell you, if that determination comes back, like that's, you know, and I'm trying to think that's a different jurisdiction. I was thinking about the ME because I was like, oh yeah, but um, but, that's a different jurisdiction. But I got a good one because he, he's good. He's like I said, uh, national and international forensic toxicology, um, independent medical examiner, wrongful death. Um, and then we got some horsepower. Right. Yeah, we got some horsepower. We got to put some <laughs> gas in the engine, and then we'll go. Yeah, okay? but I'm we, trying to know. fill him up. <laughs> yep. There you go. Take him to the gas station. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Nice well, well, what? it was, huh? Now I was going to ask another question. I didn't know if yeah. you want me to no, ask go ahead. another question or not. 
So I know you said that you couldn't get, because cell phones are so important. I mean, of course, everybody's life is on a cell phone. So is it, I know you said his, she couldn't call the cell phone company and get his information, but does she have Not his passwords? Does she have his passwords to his cell phone? Um, well, the problem is- Like, you know how you is, can go on like AT&T.com and like look up all the phone calls you've made or all the text messages you've made and things that sort. Oh, she might have his password. I'm not sure, but see, the problem was- my, huh? yeah. I was saying, the, Even though my wife probably tell me she doesn't have a password, I'm sure she has every single password that I have. Mm, so I never thought about happened. that. I'll ask yeah. his fiance. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, well, we like to, you know, caution about privacy issues and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, right? Uh, so I, I can't, I don't know, whatever, but if somebody has permission to get into that or do that, that is another resource, right? But we also need to think about too, that it has to be able to be coming to court, right? So if we're going to use it, we have to make sure that it doesn't get challenged and get thrown out. Yeah. So Rashad is, is right. We just need to make sure that she has the authority on that. So if we want to use it in a civil or criminal, it doesn't get challenged and get thrown out. Okay. Mm -hmm. They're not going to let her because she asked. Well, know. it doesn't mean, right? So at this point, these are all good points, but we, we have to change the determination. And then that opens the police department. Then they've got to investigate it like a criminal matter. And that's anything is game at that point, right? Exactly. So, I mean, we didn't even talk about potentially um, – whether there could be, I don't even know if it's OSHA or whatever, maybe your son could talk about that because of the situation, right? Maybe we could get some DOT investigation or something. Cause it was, oh. he was uh Rashad. I don't know if he was a truck driver and doing, you know, long drives and was complaining about that. So whether it was some, you know, mental breakdown from overwork or whatever, you know, we talked about, she's been trying to get the logs and, um, maybe get DOT involved, but she's just hitting a brick wall. But I'm telling you, if that if that status changes, that's the key to it. Okay, and even yeah, if it, so you guys be in prayer for me, and I'll continue to be in prayer for you guys because I understand okay. about you talk to one person this week and they're like, oh yeah, what? Okay, wh when did that happen? And then you call that same person back the next week and they're like, oh well, you know, uh, we can't. Uh, I'm running. I don't know what to tell you. You know, that's so discouraging. And so I've been there. So I'll keep you guys in prayer too. Well, well, and I think too, like Rashad said, or was it Linda that you go back and then you talk to a different person and you get a different answer, right? Sometimes, you know, somebody's not clued in to what the party line is and then, and then you get, right. You get um, both. Yeah. Yeah. No, so. you do. Awesome. Well, it was great to see everybody again. I feel like we're making progress. Um, uh, if anybody knows, like if you have a case that needs to be looked at or, um, any type of questions, anybody wants to join us as a virtual investigator, um, please feel free to reach out. You can register at helpsolvethecase.com. Um, I'll be putting the podcast up. Um, we're doing some great things with genetic genealogy, training law enforcement. So, um, all very exciting. So on that note, um, Thank you for helping us help solve the case. And I'll go ahead and end this and uh, we'll see you guys next time.